This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools at one time, at least we did. And our keeper pools that we owned him in, they disbanded. So theoretically, we own him for life. I am your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me is my good friend and co-host and fantasy hockey robot, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another Jam packed episode elon and i were discussing off mic before the show began uh, how much has changed over the last week how many things we we tried to take a swing on and how much of it came back to bite us so we'll go over all of that on this week's show we're very accountable people and uh try and give you the best advice we can heading into this weird week right for a lot of you you're getting the next two weeks combined with the All-Star break. There's some really wonky schedules with teams playing between one and four games. So we'll try and pepper some of that information through the episode as well. Yeah, it's going to be tough for people playing fantasy for the next couple of weeks. And you have to decide, yeah, do I grab a Florida Panther who's playing Monday, Tuesday, but then doesn't play again until the following Saturday? Or do I grab a Tampa Bay Lightning player who doesn't play at all next week, but has a good schedule the week after? So we'll try our best to go through what's going on in the NHL, who's hot, who's not, injuries, outries, all that good stuff. We're not going to rank every single goalie again. We did that last week. Like Brian said, something's right. Something's all, like already wrong, which is bananas. And, and we'll go through it as we go. Before we start with all of our and let's mention, of course, that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the top fantasy hockey website in the frickin' world. I love this site. You just go there, and you're like, there's a barrage of like articles and links and all this interesting information. Like, where do you even start? You got a Geek of the Week article about Blake Coleman, <laughs> titled Blake Goldman, which I really like, written by our own Ben Burnett. That's like all the tools I love. Uh, obviously, on Frozen Tools, you have uh, line combinations, starting goalies. The, the player profiles are really handy just to get a bunch of information at a glance. You can look at the game logs, like what percentage of power play the person has. Like, just a million things. It's the best. DauberHockey.com. But okay, Brian, I want to start this week on a positive note we've got some big outjuries this week a lot of players who were gone long term finally have returned and have made an impact which is always exciting and i want to start in columbus where cam atkinson finally returned to the blue jackets lineup on thursday after missing 12 games with an ankle sprain it felt like the whole time he was day to day like they kept on saying he was practicing maybe he was going to come back but kept on getting delayed and delayed and delayed but the wait was like totally worth it he's been so good in the two games since returning and actually not including today's game i'll get to that in a second 
second. But he had a goal and an assist and four shots versus Carolina on Thursday. Then two goals and an assist and four shots versus New Jersey on Saturday. Now today, I'm seeing this game as one period in. The Rangers are beating Columbus 1-0. So we'll see if Cam Atkinson can keep it up. Like, And this guy started the season pretty slow, right? He had a 69-point season last year in 2018-19, but was starting to come on strong before he got injured. He had like five points in his previous five games before getting hurt. Yesterday, you look at his line. I remember, Brian, this was the whole thing with Atkinson all this season. It seemed like he was sometimes getting buried on the fourth line, like not even getting on the top power play. Things looked a little better. Like in yesterday's game, he was playing with Emil Bemstrom and Alex Wenberg, which doesn't sound great, but he was on the top power play with Dubois, Jenner, Nyquist, Wierenski. And by the way, Wenberg and Bemstrom, two like total nobodies. But now that they're playing with Atkinson, all of a sudden they become interesting. Like they've been producing lately. We've got five points in four games for Wenberg, four points in four games for Bemstrom. So Brian, let's start with Cam Atkinson. And what are you expecting from him the rest of the way? Will he get back on that 40-goal, 70-point pace that made him so viable last season? Or do you think he's going to go back to what he was doing before he got hurt? Let's try and pick up from where we left off on Cam Atkinson, which was before his injury. And our concern for Atkinson's slow start before the injury. He had just 21 points in 35 games. It wasn't totally connected to his individual efforts, the reasons we were worrying. In fact, Atkinson's individual body of work looks pretty good compared to his recent seasons where he's been a successful fantasy-relevant player, somewhere between, you know, 58 and 71 points. Uh, Rather, it was the way that John Tortorella was using Atkinson, which had us confused and frustrated. Exhibit 1. Last year, Atkinson was attached to Pierre-Luc Dubois and Artemi Panarin, and when it wasn't uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, it was Matt Duchesne, which is great. This year... He started the season playing five games with Dubois and Nyquist, then a few games with Dubois and Nick Foligno, and then it's been some mix of Texier, Foligno, and Wenberg ever since for Cam Atkinson. So that's a huge drop in line mates. Exhibit two for how Tortorella is hurting Atkinson more than Atkinson is hurting Atkinson. Instead of Atkinson's mid-six line mates getting top six Atkinson minutes, uh, Cam has instead dropped to seeing mid-six minutes at five-on-five. So you think, oh, okay, well, whoever plays with Cam Atkinson is going to get a bump in deployment. Actually, he's just going to get bumped down to the deployment that his line mates would normally get without him. And to wit... Atkinson is seeing almost two fewer minutes per night at five on five compared to last season and his lowest five on five ice time in three years, which we definitely found odd considering Columbus's not great scoring depth, but clearly they're prioritizing defensive play, which we've seen in the way that they're protecting their goalies. And so they're not prioritizing offense quite as much. Maybe that's what explains their use of Cam Atkinson. And exhibit three, this is the last one. I should say, is, isn't it exhibit A, B, and C in court? Anyway, uh, did we mention that Cam Atkinson, before his injury, had been bumped off the top power play for stretches? He was seeing just a 43% share of Columbus power play time. He even went through the six-game stretch where he saw a combined three minutes total on the power play over six games. This is very much Tortorella being Tortorella. Despite that, Atkinson managed to notch eight power play points against the odds, and it's heartening to see him back on power play one with his healthy self 
on the ice. So with all these deployment factors getting in Cam Atkinson's way, I don't know that a 70-point pace is reasonable. I mean, let alone his deployment. Think about just being without Panarin and even without Pierre-Luc Dubois to work with. And that's why I think 55-60 points is fair. That seems to be the way Columbus is being set up this year to score is a scoring by committee sort of situation. No one player getting enough good deployment to pop more than 60 points. So I see Cam Atkinson still as one of the better forwards in Columbus. It's just no forward has a whole lot of opportunity. So going forward, I think 55, 60 points is fair to expect from Atkinson. You know, he's someone who reads as a guy who could continue to be a frustrating fantasy owned because of his low lows, but could also win you some weeks with some high highs. It's a, it's tough to see someone who might have all this talent, just not getting the opportunity to show it all. And of course, Brian, when you say how many points he's going to get, you're saying 55 to 60. You're talking about his pace rest of the season. No way he's going to get up to that because of his injury. Of course. Yes. Forgive me. Of course, one of the reasons to be concerned about Atkinson's deployment is that this top power play spot actually doesn't even look like that secure right now because Oliver Bjorkstrand has returned today, Brian, and I'm seeing that he is taking the power play one spot that Atkinson had for the last couple of games. So already I kind of agree with you that there might be reasons to be concerned about Atkinson and maybe now's a good time to sell high because he's had these two really good games. People are going to be super excited about him and I get your reasons for not expecting him to keep this up just because of the way Tortorella is deploying him. So very interesting. Yeah, let's talk about Oliver Bjorkstrand now. Another player. Finally, Columbus is maybe starting to get healthy. I guess we're still waiting on Josh Anderson. We're still waiting on Eunice Corposalo, which will be so interesting, by the way, because Elvis Merzlikens just game in, game out, totally destroying But yeah, the interesting guy returning today is Oliver Bjorkstrand. Like I said, looks like he's on the top power play now with Dubois and Nyquist and Jenner and Wierenski. And Bjorkstrand's a guy who was super hot before he got hurt. He had five goals and two assists in his previous four games, still only up to a 52-point pace on the season. So he was pretty irrelevant for a lot of the season before taking off in late November. Brian, do you see Bjorkstrand picking up right where he left off? And how would you compare him to someone like Atkinson? And hey, maybe to the rest of the... uh, Columbus forwards. I feel like this is a team where it's really hard to rank. You know, you've got Dubois, you've got Nyquist. Like, Dubois pointless in three games going into today. 57-point pace on the year. Atkinson, Bjorkstrand, Nyquist, 52-point pace on the season. Lots of Columbus forwards. Curious to know how high you are on Bjorkstrand coming back and how he compares to the others. Well, we haven't seen him play since we last talked about him. So I just want to make it very clear. We haven't seen a minute of his play. Yes, the game has started, but we were just getting ready for this show. So I haven't gotten to check in on how he's doing. Not that even that would be enough to know what to expect from him going forward. But what I can say about Oliver Bjorkstrand is that I have loved everything I've seen from him this year before he was injured. As we'd said, he's kind of like another version of Jacob Vrana this year in the vein of Timo Meyer from last year. They're seeing a big bump in minutes. Bjorkstrand himself is seeing four more minutes at five on five than he'd seen the year prior, which is a huge, huge difference. Usually ice times fluctuate maybe 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds, uh, but four minutes is just insane. And that really indicates a new way that he's being used. And uh, the good thing about Bjorkstrand in those extra minutes is that he's maintained all his big shooting rate stats in that extra time on the ice. He's averaging nearly four shots a game 
as a result. And again, like Vrana, like Meyer, it's like we knew these guys could do this if only they were given the opportunity. So Bjorkstrand finally getting the consistent opportunity. And then you toss in an ascendance to the top power play unit for about 10 games before Bjorkstrand was injured. And I think his owners, including myself, will be very happy to have him back. And should he have been dropped in your league because he was injured and didn't fit in someone's IR, you better be checking him out and making sure he's not a better option than your present bottom roster players. Elon, can you say those top power play lines again for Columbus today? Where did Bjorkstrand sit? Yeah, so there's been literally one power play today. And what I'm seeing is Bjorkstrand, Dubois, Jenner, Nyquist, and Wierenski on the top power play. Okay, so still top power play, which is really exciting. He's in a fantastic place. I'm hopeful he can also be on his 60-point pace. You mentioned all these uh, Columbus forwards, and I sort of already said it's a very horizontal scoring landscape in Columbus. I feel like we've ranked the forwards there three or four times this year and with slightly different results each time because there's so little to pick between Dubois and Atkinson and Bjorkstrand and Nyquist. So I think... What I'm going to do in ranking them is not going with projection because they're all projected, I think, to finish within five points of one another. But it's more a matter of just confidence that they're going to be able to perform consistently without any crazy cold snaps, without getting, you know, a huge cut to their ice time or deployment. So if I had to rank the Blue Jackets, I wanted to own the rest of the season. I think I'd start with Kim Atkinson just because I still feel he might have the most raw talent of the group, at least as a scorer, but he does need to play with someone who can set him up and hopefully Wenberg can continue being that guy. So Atkinson first, then Bjorkstrand, just because I'm excited about his upside and I love his shots. Then Nyquist, he's probably the steadiest of the group, even though he is cold right now. And then Pierre-Luc Dupois, who's got a similar look to Nyquist. It's someone you can count on, except for these stretches where he does go cold and gets taken off of the top power play, even when there's no one else to put in his place. That's wild, right? Because going into the season, I think we thought Dubois was the guy that you could rely on the most out of anybody. Uh, But it sounds like you're saying they're all like pretty interchangeable, which is interesting. And you want these four guys and then maybe some of the uh, complimentary players, depending on the schedule, like Nick Foligno is doing well lately. Like I said, randoms like Wenberg and Bemstrom are doing well playing with Atkinson. So yeah, it's an interesting team and you got to watch the schedule to see when it's time to add a Columbus Blue Jacket. Definitely, we'll talk about them next, maybe soon. Uh, We'll see when Corpusalo comes back, then it'll be a really interesting discussion to see what happens in nets but okay let's go now to another outchery the week started with a much bigger name coming back Sidney Crosby finally returned to the Penguins back on Monday so far so good for Sid the Kid right points in four straight games after his two assists today in the win over Boston so that makes three goals and five assists in the four games since Crosby has come back amazing just like Atkinson right we waited and waited and waited and when he came back it was totally worth it uh so Ben and Lewis on our short shifts shows have already covered the Penguins lines. Uh, just to quickly recap, Donnick Cahoon looked to be sticking with Malkin and Rust, and then Crosby was centering Dominic Simone and Jared McCann. Looks like we got some shuffling today with potential injuries to both of the Dominics. Cahoon first, then Simone went down. I'm seeing that there were shifts with Crosby playing with Hornfist and Dominic Simone. So I guess with Cahoon injured, Hornfist got a promotion, and then McCann went to go play with Malkin and Rust. Uh, 
Anyway, who knows? Now there's going to be a long break and we'll see. Or I think actually the Penguins do play on Tuesday. So maybe we'll find out if these injuries or maybe these injuries will keep the Dominics out. And then after the break, there'll be a whole new landscape in Pittsburgh. So let's just get a general sense of who we like here. Of course, the top power play, Crosby's back there playing with Malkin, Hornquist, Rust, Latang. Really nice to see Rust stick along there. And he's been so amazing. Brian, do any of like Dominic Simone, Jared McCann, Dominic Cahoon, do any of them seem as being especially worth grabbing for the final stretch of the season since it's looking like they have a good shot to play with a superstar like Crosby or Malkin? Again, let's just repeat that Cahoon and Simone were both injured in today's game versus Boston. So first, before you really take in what we're about to say, which honestly won't be much, but still want to preface it with check the injury news before you make any decisions. Uh, Let's assume that Cahoon and Simone are okay, which might be a big assumption. I'm not sure. Let's say they can play in the next game. I think I'd take Simone first, then Cahoon, then McCann. That's probably how I'd rank them. Even though, uh, like the Columbus guys, honestly, I would probably rank them differently every other week. McCann's only third because he only got to play with Malkin once Cahoon got injured today. I'm just happy, Elon, as you said you were, that Brian Russ has graduated from being included in these rankings. It's one less random guy to think about streaming in. It's down to just these three at the moment. And uh, for no great reason other than I just always seem to like Simone's game when I watch him and what I read about him. That's why I have him first. It's really just a personal preference. Do you have anything different to say? No, I'm with you. Like, Simone uh, played with Crosby, and he scored a goal today. He has now four points on the week since Crosby's come back in four games. So why not McCann pointless in three? You say how, like, it's good that McCann got with Malkin. He was with Crosby before, like I was saying. So either one should be good. I think the best news would be for a Patrick Hornquist owner to find out that Dominic Cahoon is injured, or maybe just that the coaching staff liked what they saw with Hornquist there. Don't forget the Penguins were losing today and then came back, I'm assuming, after this Cahoon injury. So maybe Hornquist now has earned a spot to stick with Crosby. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, speaking about this comeback, obviously a lot of it had to do with the goaltending. At first, the Penguins fell back because Matt Murray had a really bad start today, and it was actually surprising that he was even playing. It was the first time he got a second start in a row in quite a while. He had had quality starts in three of his last four games. Meanwhile, Tristan Jari, he's letting out three goals in every one of his six January starts. So I guess the coaching staff decided to give Murray a reward and give him the game today, and at first it looked like a huge mistake but no, he really bounced back after letting in those early three goals. He and the Pens were able to pull out the win. Murray stopped 34 of 37 shots. So Brian, now at this point, we've got Matt Murray getting two starts in a row. He was the obviously starting goalie going into the season. Jari's struggling a bit. Is that like all it's going to take? And now after the All-Star break, it's going to be Matt Murray's net until he loses it again, if and when that happens. Like, is it time for people to jump on Murray if he's still in free agency? And like, is should Tristan Jari own be very very worried i don't know which conversation we've had more often the last two years which streamer winger in pittsburgh is more worth owning or when is matt murray going to lose slash re-earn his job Uh, i was watching the boston pittsburgh game today and i definitely jumped quickly as i tweeted on the narrative that with those three early goals against matt murray squandered what would have been an excellent opportunity to make a move for the pittsburgh crease 
but now uh, he actually ended up doing so great the rest of the game. And Matt Murray is now up to four of his last five starts being above average. And the fifth one was also just fine. Uh, he's won them all. And then you have Tristan Jari on the other hand. He's posted three straight starts below a 900 save percentage. Till this point, Jari had only put up two starts all year where he put up a save percentage less than 900. So, before this game, today against Boston, the door was open a creek for Matt Murray, and then it seemed to close after the first period, and now there's no doubting that Matt Murray has a skate stuck in that door, so it's not closing, which is really just the tale of trying to predict what the heck is going to happen in the Pittsburgh crease and what kind of performance we're going to see from Matt Murray, who's been less predictable than Tristan Jari, but still we know uh, he could re-earn his job, right? It was last season, he reclaimed his crease into December. So this season, is it a better late than never? Can he do it again? Uh, so if he was dropped in your league, I would go get him. I think it's time. Hold yeah. him for a week or two, see what happens. But at the same time, am I talking out of both sides of my mouth here, Elon, if I say I also would not drop Tristan Jari if I owned him? Yeah, I think it makes sense. You're saying, we have no freaking idea. Like, I probably shouldn't have even asked you. I should just give the update on what's going on in Nets, and then people can decide for themselves. I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, the Penguins are happy to have two capable goalies. Maybe they'll be smart. Just Shane is saying here in the chat, maybe they'll just like split them 50-50 the rest of the way and see who's hot going into the playoffs. That would make sense to me. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But uh, right now, I agree with you, Brian, that you probably want to own both goalies just in case one of them jumps ahead and we don't know who it's going to be. Agreed. I think that's all you can do. And it sucks to own goalies. Yeah, well, the thing is, sometimes these situations, they seem like they're finally decided. I'm going to, we'll get to it later in the show. I'm convinced the Washington situation is decided. So now watch next week. I'll come on and be like, oh, no, now Braden Holby. Well, it won't be next week, actually, because I don't think Washington's playing. Uh, anyway, let's focus on outjuries first. Uh, so next, we've got John Klingberg back for Dallas after missing four games, the lower body injury. Unfortunately for Dallas, this coincided with Miro Haskinen going into concussion protocol after his head came into contact with Rasmus Asplund of the Sabres on Thursday. Uh, but I have a feeling Haskinen's going to be fine. Like, Dallas doesn't play again until after the All-Star breaks. There's a lot of time left. I'm guessing by the time they next play, both Klingberg and Haskinen will be in the lineup. So it's been three games back for Klingberg so far. He had a power play assist versus Colorado on Tuesday, but then nothing in the next two games. The Stars actually lost both of these games without scoring many goals. They lost 4-1 to one to Buffalo and then 7 nothing to Minnesota yesterday. So just a terrible outing for Dallas and for John Klingberg, right? He's now sitting at 19 points in 37 games. That's a sad 42-point pace on the season. We had a question on Twitter today from someone named Mac Jamie at Mac Jamie. He was asking us who he should drop to activate Bjorkstrand and he also has Klingberg in his IR and one of the options he suggested was Philip Hironic. and so maybe I should just drop Hironic as one of the people to activate these guys I started thinking about it you know at this point Philip Hironic on Detroit he's on his own team's top power play with no competition and is pacing for 45 points compared to Klingberg's 42 so I was wondering like would it be crazy to just suggest to at Mac Jamie to let Klingberg go of these two defensemen or at the very least am I correct that the two should be considered in the same ballpark at this point and of course assuming no plus minus because Hironic is going to kill you there but like I feel like uh, John Klingberg's stock has really fallen I'm not super excited about him for the rest of the season it's really fallen you're right and I'm not sure if we had it so high to begin with that we could have never expected him to meet it and we were wrong to think he could or if this is just a blip so here's what I've where I've landed after taking a look at what's been a really rotten season for John Klingberg 
And the easy narrative to push here would be that, well, John Klingberg, uh, he missed time. He lost his power play role. I don't think that's it. I don't think it's the power play role thing. Somehow, Klingberg is pacing just the way he has been for the last few years on the power play. He has 11 power play points in 37 games. Not a totally sustainable way that he's scored it, given his deployment, but it's been a saving grace for his owners uh, because where Klingberg's production has really collapsed is at 5-on-5. But here's the rub. As with so many Dallas Stars... I'm not sure it's John Klingberg's fault. He has a 6% on-ice shooting percentage, a big difference between the actual goals that are scored while he's on the ice and the expected goals that are scored while he's on the ice. And his expected goals are similar to what they've been the last couple years. These are his on-ice numbers. Just that low on-ice shooting percentage means fewer of those expected goals are turning into actual goals. Then you look at his own personal shooting. He's shooting uh, at a rate less than, at a success rate less than 2% uh, versus 4% career average, which doesn't amount to a lot because Klingberg isn't a big shooter. But uh, to date, it would mean you could add at least a couple goals to his total that would nudge him towards a 50-point pace. Uh, Klingberg's 5-on-5 production has been the difference now the past two years. That's been keeping him from approaching that near 70-point pace he had a couple seasons back. Uh, So to see it fall further and continue to struggle is frustrating. Uh, You know, in normal circumstances, Klingberg, you give him 20 power play points. He's still a 55-ish point defenseman, but now you have these abnormal circumstances, uh, plus his power play role being usurped. You're just hoping that Klingberg can get to 50 points uh, as a pace once his variance balances out, which hopefully it does. When a player's numbers look this way, they tend to not stay this way, but Dallas this year, as I already kind of mentioned, has not been a place where misfortune regresses for the better as we'd expect. It seems to just sit in mediocrity. So that's been a really difficult thing. And I I don't know what's happening under the hood. And I don't know that I can find out. I, I need someone else smarter than me to look into this. And I know I'll be reading into it in the off season and all the postmortems on Dallas's season. Because something weird is definitely happening this year where just a lot of unlucky things or apparently unlucky things are happening to a lot of good players and yet there's no snapping out of it at least not yet uh you also asked if Klingberg and Hronik like what jump-started this whole thing are they comparable and I think you're right to consider Klingberg and Philip Hronik in the same ballpark it feels like Hronik's floor is higher than Klingberg's but Klingberg's ceiling and upside is still higher I'm not sure who I'd take I think I'd take Klingberg by a hair Hronik looks like a 50-point player for the last six weeks or so, and that's really good. That's when he got that top power play bump. But I still think Klingberg can get back on that top power play, can get to 50 points, though it will be an uphill climb if Haskinen continues to be the one chosen to quarterback the top unit instead of him. Klingberg's been back for three games. He's had it three games, though Haskinen's been out. So, like, essentially this all comes down, Elon, we're betting on whether John Klingberg is going to be the top power play defenseman And that's going to decide if he's for sure a better bet than Hronik or just like, eh, maybe not as good a bet as Hronik. What do you think? How many, how like, uh, more or less time than Miro Haskinen when Haskinen's healthy on the top power play? 
Who's going to get more power play time? Yeah, between Klingberg and Haskinen. Ugh, it's so annoying to try to predict something. Yeah, but that's, that's like, what uh, this question comes down to. <laughs> Probably, I'll say 50-50. Like, honestly, it could go <laughs> right. either way. Yeah. Because Dallas also, they don't know what they're doing. Like, the power plays always are changing. Like, the top power play sometimes looks like a second power play and vice versa. So, I don't know. I feel like, like I said, if it's not a plus-minus league, I might just go. Is it Heronic or Heronic? I was saying Heronic the whole time. Then you sort of switched halfway through. What, what, what should we go with? We'll go with Heronic. Okay, sure. So I like him. I think his upside is high, assuming... Like, I just remember last year also Detroit had this really crazy end to the season where, like, Mantha and Larkin and Bertuzzi and these guys were just going crazy. And if Hirana could be there with them... They, that could be really strong. And I just, I don't know, I find it hard to imagine Dallas going crazy offensively. Like, I can see them obviously winning more games, but I think that'll be more on the backs of, like, Ben Bishop and Hudobin, though it didn't look like it yesterday versus Minnesota. Uh, yeah, so bummer about Klingberg. You're saying maybe he could get back up to a 50-point pace. That's the real bottom line here is he's not a guy you, like, must activate from your IR. Maybe you, if you have him still there, you'll leave him there over the All-Star break and maybe there'll be some other injury and it'll become easier instead of having to drop someone good for him. Yeah, we had that question being asked on our patrons only facebook group i have klingberg coming back who should i drop to activate him and my answer was ah, you know just keep him in ir for mm-hmm. the time being because you don't know that he's going to be worth that roster spot yeah shane here in the chat saying haskinen injury is just a stay of execution for klingberg i can see like haskinen's the future right he's uh, everyone knows he's going to be good uh so another outjury here let's go to montreal bangers darling joel armia finally returned from his hand injury on thursday after missing 11 games armia got right back onto his line with domi and uh, now with suzuki and armia was pointless with five shots versus philadelphia on thursday but then scored yesterday versus vegas he also got a spot on the domi power play with kovalchuk cousins weber i don't I don't want to say power play one or power play two. It looks like Montreal is pretty much 50-50 there. But I think it's fair to say people should be very seriously considering adding Joel Armia, especially if the league counts shots and hits. Like, I feel like if you're sad about having missed out on Blake Goldman, then I feel like Armia looks like he's cut right out of the same cloth, like fantasy-wise. You're talking about someone who takes a bunch of shots, he, he hits, and all those shots is generally going to lead to goals. And the one thing Armia even has above Coleman. Okay, I'll call him Coleman going forward. I really like the nickname. Uh, Blake Coleman doesn't even play on the power play very much. Like, Armia's right there. So uh, this is definitely a guy that we should not disregard. I think this is a huge opportunity to add him if he was maybe dropped when he got injured. For sure. He's definitely worth rostering in leagues where hits count. For his time on the power play, Elon, we should mention, he has just four power play points to show for it, even though he gets a near 50% share of the Habs power play minutes for forwards. But hey, that's not nothing. And he's on pace to set a career high in power play points, which is something. For your fantasy team, I think if you're adding Armia, you're hoping for three or four shots a game, uh, two or three hits a game, and maybe a power play point here and there. He also plays on the penalty kill and he has one shorthanded point so far so maybe he'll throw in one or two more the rest of the season Uh, one really interesting thing about him is players like joel armia sometimes take a lot of penalties not him just 10 penalty minutes through 37 games and his career high in penalty minutes is 22 which he had in 79 games for winnipeg three years ago wow yeah, uh, food for thought. If you're in a league where penalties count as negative, then that's really good. Another reason to add him. I guess if they're positive, then he's not helping you there. Uh, Brian, though, you did leave out, like, if he's going to get three, four shots a game, probably there'll be some goals in there, right? He's not going to miss every single shot that he takes. One, some are going to hit the back of the net. For sure. I mean, I did say 45, 50 point pace. You're hoping for, like, he's definitely, I think he's going to be a 20 point or 20 goal player. 
maybe 25 goals. He's like the 1920 version of Andrew Shaw when he was in Montreal last season. And I think Army actually has more upside. Still temper your expectations, but he might be, I think he's at least an equal player to Andrew Shaw. Yeah, and it's this really good deployment right now. I'm into him. Uh, grab him if you can. Uh, take a look. And then, Brian, how about Carey Price? All of a sudden now he's won four games in a row to help the Habs kind of hang in the wild card race, like barely. Like they're, you know, three, four wins back right now. I, you know, one of the few things I'm happy about with our goalie rankings last week is I took a swing and I ranked Carey Price above Semyon Varlamov. So far, uh, not looking too bad. We'll talk about Varlamov lately, but he's had a really bad week. Price looking good. I'm not even going to ask you if this is going to continue with Carey Price because who knows? I'm just going to say it's nice to see Price picking his game up, though he did almost blow it versus Vegas on Saturday, but he, he hung on for the win. That's good enough for me. And then, of course, since we're on Montreal, we have to discuss the other line, which is Deneau playing with Kovalchuk and Tatar. These three have been rolling lately. Kovalchuk seems to be making up for the short-term loss of Brendan Gallagher for the halves because Kovalchuk has taken his spot on the top line and he has three goals in his last two games up to four goals and four assists in eight games as a Montreal Canadian. Brian, do you think this is for real? Is Ilya Kovalchuk a must-own coming out of the All-Star break? Is he back to All-Star Kovi? Or Okay, maybe that's too crazy, but like, are we looking at like a 60-65 point pace Ilya Kovalchuk moving forward? He's getting the deployment. Even if Gallagher comes back i have a feeling kovalchuk will just go to play maybe with armia and domi i don't see him getting bumped to the bottom six the only thing i could see changing with him is maybe he gets traded at the trade deadline if montreal really falls out maybe this was like a smart move to sign him for cheap and then flip him for a pick but the situation he's in right now is really good and it seems like kovalchuk is really making the most of it. it makes me wonder what was going on in la I don't know what was going on in LA. We thought the coaching change might help him. It didn't. And now in Montreal, he's seeing four minutes more a night than he was seeing in LA this year and three more minutes a night compared to what he was seeing in LA last year. And not just more minutes, but more action in those minutes. Kovalchuk is shooting at his highest per 60 rate since 2011-12 which was his penultimate season as a New Jersey Devil. Uh, He has a noticeable surge in what he's doing under the hood offensively. And of course, I mentioned the opportunities that Kovalchuk is getting uh, since coming to Montreal. Eight points in eight games speaks for itself. This could be a great move uh, to Montreal for both the player and the team and also the fantasy owner. So yeah, Kovalchuk should probably be owned in most formats. And Elon, I want to compliment you before we move on on your swing on Carey Price. It was really nice of you to have faith in him. It was kind of him to follow up uh, what was a six-game losing streak in which he had four sub-900 starts, including two really bad starts, and an 875 save percentage over that time with a four-game win streak. You called it. That's amazing. He was due. Brian, maybe we have this all wrong. We on this show are always talking about who's on a hot streak. Can this player keep it up? Really, we should be looking at who is doing badly and then say, is this guy going to start scoring or doing well in nets because he's been doing so bad lately? Who knows? With goalies, it's very hard to predict, of course. So I think we should stop saying that. We're, we're going to hold ourselves, like you said, to a high standard. One day we're going to figure this out with goalies and we're going to get all of our prediction <laughs> predictions correct. Every single uh, one. By the way, speaking of a correct prediction, how do you like this, Brian? If you're happy with me uh, predicting that Carey Price would bounce back, I dropped Philip Deneau in the Kakupful Tier 1 Sweden in the midst of that big cold streak he was on with, like, sharks. This is Tier 1. All the best players. No one picked him up. Then I had a hunch. I picked him back up after letting him sit in free agency for a week just in time for his one goal and four assists in his last three games. Beautiful. I love you, Deneau. I got to, like, stream you out. I I got some other players in, and now I'm getting all 
the production again. Six shots yesterday versus Vegas for Deneau. Love this guy. And uh, we'll see how long it lasts. Like The thing is, when you have deployment like this, even if you're on a cold streak, obviously there's always the opportunity to start turning it on because you're playing with the best players on the team, getting big minutes. We've been trying to make sure since the start of the season, since our almanac, that everybody knows Phil Deneau is here to play. You need to pay attention. Uh, better than a streamer, like top of the free agency heap, you should hang on to him. And it's nice to see that he's producing even while Brendan Gallagher is injured, because we thought we were really worried when Gallagher was injured and before he tried to come back that this was not going to be great for Deneau and Tatar's production. Uh, it's nice that Kovalchuk has been able to step in. And of course, Deneau is still worth owning. And if you Deneau, now you know. <laughs> Good one. Okay. Uh, next up, let's go to Chicago, where Brandon Saad returned from an ankle injury on Saturday after being out for a month. A really nice return for Saad in that trouncing over the Leafs on Saturday. He got on a line with Patrick Kane, which is always good. Also with a Ryan Carpenter for some reason. And hey, Saad scored a goal, had four shots. He had no power play time in that game. The Blackhawks only saw 42 seconds, actually, of power play time in that game. And check out who was on that power play. It was Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Dominic Kubalik. And then Bokvist and Keith, two defensemen, playing on the power play. Very, very interesting. A uh, certain person that you normally expect to be there wasn't there. I'm looking so far. We're in the second period. Winnipeg versus Chicago today on Sunday. So far, they haven't had a power play. So I don't know what they're doing yet. Hopefully, we'll find out. I think after... I think you should pause this episode, if you're listening to it, and check and see how the power play shook out. You could go to uh, Dobber Hockey and Frozen Tools and take a look at the last game line combos. Anyways, here are my takeaways so far from what's going on in Chicago. So first of all, Kubalik is maybe on the surge of the season right now. We're looking at nine goals and four assists in his last eight games going into today. Now he's potentially bumped Alex Dabrinkit from the top power play. We already said last week that Kubalik was a must-own. Now, like, things are looking even better for him. So there's not even a question. It's just congrats to anyone who got him. If he's somehow still available, go get him. It's a, he's in a great spot. He's crushing it. He's doing well with Jonathan Taves. I, I can't think of any reason why you don't want Kubalik in your lineup. Brian, I'll give you a few more takeaways. Maybe you could just comment on all of them. So yeah, Brandon Saad, if he sticks with Patrick Kane, like that spot for him. Like he's no Kubalik, but definitely someone I'd be interested in trying in a deeper league for as long as he's playing with Patrick Kane. And then, of course, I'm very concerned about Alex Dabrinkit. If he's going to be playing at even strength, like he was yesterday with David Kampf and Kirby Dock, and gets bumped from the top power play, that's just terrible, terrible deployment. I've expressed concern before about Dabrinkit. He's been having kind of a slow season. And Brian, I recall you said, like, you're not too worried. You think he's going to be fine. But that was probably assuming he was going to at least stick on the top power play. So how are you feeling now? ADB... He's doing okay lately. He's got three points in his last five games. Not even that great. That's, again, going into today. Only sitting at a 55-point pace on the season. So are you still thinking he'll end up higher than that when it's all said and done? Or is this what we're looking at moving forward? So those are some takeaways. Maybe I'll let you comment on these forwards, and then we can talk about the defenseman. Anybody waiting for my answer on Debrinket is going to be held on a cliffhanger here. Because, Elon, I want to talk about Kubalik and then Saad for just a moment. First off, Dominic Kubalik, three or more shots on goal in seven of his last nine games going into tonight. Fantastic shot rates. Another thing that's fantastic in helping his production, Kubalik is scoring on 30% of his shots on goal. So don't go too gaga over him. But We'll give still the same advice we've been giving the last couple times we've talked about him. 
Kubalik has gone from maybe worth owning to worth owning to must owning the way he's going. And these shots are just amazing the way they keep coming. And like you said about Armia, you take shots, you're going to score goals, even if it's unsustainable goal scoring uh, right now. It's not going to completely disappear so long as those shots also don't completely disappear. And I'm not going to bank on it because I think he's giving Chicago a lot of what they need right now. And also Kubalik is still sticking with Jonathan Taves. I don't know what to make of this power play deployment, though, for Kubalik. It's so hard to imagine he keeps to bring it off that top unit. Instead of going to three forwards and then two defensemen with Gustafsson and Boakvist, Boakvist, of course, hasn't done anything there. I think it's time for Chicago to go to five forwards and get to bring it back on that unit. If they want Kubalik up there, that's fine. But you got to take to bring it with him, too, because no defenseman aside from Duncan Keith has shown any capacity to run that top power play in Chicago this year. I have a question, Elon, and you, you tell me your answer. Chicago, over the next two weeks, so if your matchup spins before and after the All-Star break, parts of two weeks combined into one matchup, into one game week, as Stat Attack Marcus would say, uh, Chicago only has one game this week. Do Rough. you like? Do you hold Dominic Kubalik? I mean, I would. So would I. I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, don't forget, it's still one matchup. So even if you were hurt for one matchup, you got to think long term here. And I think this is a guy just in such a good spot. Like, do you hold Jonathan Taves? You know, like, I, well, I think come on, you're going to put them equal? Okay, maybe not. But just to, like, for the thought experiment, like, I'm very excited about Kubalik right now. And I think that would be a really great opportunity if someone decides not to hold on to him. And if you're in a pretty good spot in your league, that might be an opportunity for you to get someone who probably you shouldn't be able to get at this point. Uh, the defenseman on the power play, that's kind of wild, right? And also, Brian, I love how you're just throwing out this advice. Like, you know so much about how to run a team. I'm sure there's reasons why they want to have defensemen out there, probably to stop a shorthanded goal from happening. Uh, but yeah, uh, like I said, it was Duncan Keith on the power play before. You are saying that, or I think you told me off air that you saw that now it's Eric Gustafsson on the top power play instead of Duncan Keith. So obviously they're still shuffling things around. And, you know, right now we don't even have a power play today. So we'll wait and see what's going on with the Blackhawks there. Overall, though, I'm concerned about Debrinket. So let's get to him. Are you? I <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am also concerned about Debrinket, especially as someone who owns him. Going into tonight's game, he'd seen fewer than 17 minutes for four straight games, which is not characteristic of the way he's been deployed in his career. He's off that top power play, as we'd mentioned. But I really do, despite all of this, still believe in him. I guess my concern is that Debrinket's coach's faith has been shaken for some reason. Uh, under the hood, Debrinket looks really good. At 5-on-5, five five, he's setting a career-high primary assist rate, which is awesome and should be one piece uh, to go with some other really great numbers. But instead to go with it, Debrinket has a couple duds, career-low goal rates and secondary assist rates. The goal rates can be explained by his 4% shooting percentage compared to his 14% shooting percentage the last two years at 5-on-5. Five five. So that's a 10% drop and is not likely to be demonstrating his true shooting skill because nothing else has changed for Debrinket. If anything, his shot rates have actually improved, even though lately he's seeing fewer minutes to, to put shot rates up in. But the point is that he probably should have scored a little more often than he has. And then the secondary assists, I think Debrinket is missing Dylan Strom and Jonathan Taves. His on-ice goal scored is down huge from the last couple of years because 
Kampf, Doc, and Carpenter have been his most common line mates for the last 10 games. He had Patrick Kane for a little while earlier this season, and we weren't seeing a Cisco missing there. But Debrinket isn't scoring. Neither are his line mates. He's still talented in a way that I don't think can be held down for long. So I do think he's going to be better. I hope it just happens soon, because that's the next question, right? How quickly can he turn it around? He should be able to. He's a really good hockey player, and all the numbers that I look to to see if someone has dropped in talent or output or is just getting unlucky, point to the latter. Okay, so Dabrinkit's good. Maybe this is a Cam Atkinson situation then, where how much can you expect him to produce if he's not going to be getting that primo deploymento that we've been used to seeing him getting, you know, last season and then at the start of this season. So I'd be nervous. If it's a keeper league, maybe now's a good time to trade for him while his value is a bit down. But uh, for this year, I don't know. It looks like Kubalik is getting all the favor right now. Then, I don't know, like Duncan Keith, take a look at him if he's going to be on the top power play. I don't even know if he still will be after this, like, potentially Gustafsson taking over thing. Uh, Corey Crawford, by the way, since we're on the Blackhawks has had two good games in a row now so I don't know maybe we were too high on Leonard and too low on Crawford last week in our goalie rankings looks like Leonard's having a really good game today it's two nothing for Chicago we're almost on the second period so obviously Leonard hasn't led in a goal yet so who knows with goalies but nice to see Corey Crawford not being terrible maybe he still has some game left in him for sure uh, Crawford or Crow making us eat Crow after more or less leaving him for dead on the last episode where we ranked all the goalies. But he's been really valuable. I actually added him shortly after that episode, seeing that Chicago had two back-to-backs this week. And he has absolutely delivered. Meanwhile, Robin Lehner uh, doing his thing. One thing the box score won't tell you, Elon, is that he stopped Nine shots on a four-minute penalty kill tonight to keep the score at 2 nothing, at least to this juncture. So he is uh, doing amazing. 23 saves through 35 minutes of play. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, don't look now. The Chicago Blackhawks are in the playoff race. Like, if they could keep getting goaltending like this, get some goals from Kubalik like he's been doing, like, next thing you know, you could have a Chicago Blackhawks team that no one was expecting to do anything this year potentially make the playoffs. So we'll have to see if the goalies can hold up for them. They're going to need it for sure. Uh, next, another outro. So I've still got a few of these. Uh, Vegas gained and lost a top liner recently. Jonathan Marshall returned on Tuesday after missing five games with a lower body injury, but at the same time, will William Carlson is week to week with an upper body injury. Pete DeBoer, this is what he said about the Carlson injury. By the way, have we said that Pete DeBoer is the new coach? I think we covered that last week. Or if not, then that's a thing. We did not. Okay. (laughs) So, okay. Vegas has a new coach for some reason. And the new coach said about William Carlson, he's week to week. He'll miss the road trip. And then we have the break. Then he should be close after that. So, you know what, Brian? William Carlson actually got dropped in my cupful tier one division because the guy who had him, Joe, uh, I think was just too full. He had like four injured players and we only have four IR plus spots. We thought that would be enough. So he dropped William Carlson. I added him because he might be back soon and he should be really good, though, of course, he has been super cold uh, before this injury. I don't know if maybe something was related. Uh, anyway, I'm curious to know what you think about William Carlson, curious to know what you think about Jonathan Marchessault also, who is currently sitting at a 57-point pace on the season, 32 points in 46 games. Like, assuming that he gets William Carlson back soon, what do you think is going to happen the rest of the season with these guys in this top line? Like, two seasons ago, you know, in Vegas' inaugural year, Marchessault looked like a superstar, like a 70-point guy. William Carlson, we all remember the super high shooting percentage, but, like, he did really well. Now this year, all of these guys kind of seem normal, and do you still see, like, a Jonathan Marchessault as a big-time super 
superstar. Everyone needs to be really excited to get him back in their lineups. Or are we, again, looking at like a 55, 60-point guy, just like some of the other outcheries we've discussed, like the uh, Atkinsons and the, I don't know, John Klingbergs and company. Like everyone seems to have come down a little bit. Well, first, Elon, you were right and you were wrong about whether we talked about the Vegas coaching change. We talked about it on our patron cast this past Wednesday after it had happened. When we recorded our episode Sunday, it had not yet happened. So we had talked about it, just not to the public, but to our very valued subscribers who maybe we'll chat about in just a second. Uh, But you want to know what to expect. First off, I don't expect anything to really change for the Golden Knights. They were doing everything right under Gallant, and I don't think the coaching change was needed. I think it was reactionary, knee-jerk, and clearly no good reason has been given. And in the interviews, they were saying the front office was just like, I wish we had a reason. I wish we could be more specific. It's like, well, then maybe you shouldn't have done what you did just because you thought you needed a change and your PDO was bad, even though uh, everything else was going swimmingly. So... And then I looked at some data comparing the two coaches, comparing DeBoer and Gallant, and they're very similar in terms of what they've, uh, the impacts they've had on teams' offense and defense. And I believe the data was coming from Allison Lucan. You can Google for it. Uh, so I don't expect any big changes to happen to the Vegas lineup. As a result, of course, the biggest change is that William Carlson is out, and that's bad for Jonathan Marsha. So he and William Carlson really do like playing with each other. I think Carlson needs Marsha so a little more than Marsha so needs Carlson. That said, Chandler Stevenson, that's a potentially a pretty big downgrade for Marsha so's centerman. I say potentially because if there's anything we've learned in Vegas and the story of the Golden Knights, it's that you can't count someone out who's never had the opportunity to do something productive before. And that's what maybe Chandler Stevenson can do here. He's just over half a point per game since joining Vegas and an oddly efficient shooter for someone who's not one to take many shots and has never really been asked to take shots before. He's just 25 shots on goal in 22 games since joining the Golden Knights. So, uh, you have Jonathan Marcheseau now, who is a big shooter, and he's got an extremely deferential centerman. So that's a good match, and hopefully St- Stevenson can feed Marcheseau the puck as often as possible. Yeah, but Brian, uh, let me just interrupt really quickly. Like I said, I think that the plan is that William Carlson's going to be back after the All-Star breaks. So I don't think we have to worry too much about this Chandler-Stevenson okay. business. Okay, yeah, so just in case William Carlson does not come back as soon as we hope, there's the there's the skinny on Chandler Stevenson and Jonathan Marsha. So I don't know, Elon, what would you expect me to say? I think, you know, William Carlson is not a 40-goal scorer the way he was in Vegas' first season. He's still good for 20, maybe a few more. And that's a good thing for Jonathan Marshall, so because he needs to cash in on some goals. But repeating that first season in Vegas is going to be really hard because the whole team was riding some unsustainable shooting percentages. I'm not so worried about how Carlson has gone cold lately. I feel like he's missing a few shooting percentage points that he probably should have back. Of course, he's not the 23% shooter he was his first year in Vegas, but I'm hoping he's still like the 14% shooter he was in his second year in Vegas rather than the 10% shooter he's been so far this year in Vegas. So that's why I'm hoping that Carlson can bounce back a little bit once he returns and then Marcheseau can pick up a few more assists on his goals because Marcheseau needs that to be able to be a 65-point player. Uh, we hope that Marcheseau could be someone who could do it all by himself, but I just don't know that that's the case. So that's why uh, I, I, 
Marcheseau and Carlson's fates are very well tied, and I hope respectively they're like 65 and 60 point players. In the worst of times, though, just knock five points off of each of those projections. Yeah, and I think I'm going to do that. Like, I'm not expecting Marcheseau to become a 65 point guy again. It just, it's been a couple years since we've seen it. And yeah, we could say that maybe he's had some bad luck recently, but like it was all last year, now this year. And it's looking to me like we're looking at like a 55, maybe like approaching 60 point guy, unfortunately. But hey, doesn't really matter for Vegas because even if they could get that from that line, they're getting a lot of points from their other line with Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, and recently Paul Stasny is back playing with them. We called it on the last show that once Stasny's back with Stone and Pacioretty, that means you want Paul Stasny in your lineup again. And yeah, we were right. Uh, he has a goal and an assist in each of his last two games. It's four points in his last two games. Also, very conveniently, well, not for Stasny, obviously, because he took a puck to the face, but he's now day-to-day on Yahoo, so you can grab him and stash him in your IR. I'm assuming he'll be fine by the time Vegas plays after the All-Star break. So in the meantime, you could stream in a Florida or a Winnipeg guy that plays next week. Then you bring in Paul Stasny and and hope that he stays on that line with Patches and Stone and continues producing. On that previously mentioned patron cast, that's where we called, made that Paul Stasny call. And I hope uh, I hope some people got to benefit from it. By the way, did you see Stasny on his hands and knees collecting his teeth yeah. after he got hit with the puck? I saw that on Twitter. I did not like watching that. That was kind of gross. <laughs> I, just, I just don't know if that's like super weird. Or, like, super bad. Like, I don't know what it is, if it's badass. Like, I would probably, if it were me, I'd probably just black out. <sighs> and then, like, or, like, ask someone with a shovel, you know, like, one of the ice cleaners to just, like, shovel them up, go grab them. And, like, why do you even collect your teeth? Like, was he just being considerate and cleaning up? Or, like, can your own teeth be reinserted more easily? Well, I don't know. Maybe the third option is it's like a souvenir. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe if <laughs> From it's like in- the worst night of his life. And where was his mouth guard? How do you go to work every day knowing something like this could happen? I have so many questions. Poor Paul. Yeah, I hope he'll be okay. Uh, if there's any dentists listening, let us know if there's anything he could do with these teeth to get them back in his mouth. Uh, okay, speaking of Vegas, of course, one last thing. Shout out to Shea Theodore. His three assists in the last game brought him to 31 points in 51 games on the earth. It's a 50-point pace and, like, climbing big time recently. His career high is 37 points. So the dude's going to shatter that this year. I could see him ending with 55. And then who knows in the future in keeper leagues? Like, you know, this was the year to get Shea Theodore because I think he's going to be, like, a star defenseman moving forward. No competition there, which is very convenient. And he's finally really starting to produce Okay, another out jury. Let's go to New Jersey now. Mackenzie Blackwood is back for the Devils after missing a couple of games with a concussion. He came in to relieve poor Corey Schneider yesterday. Schneider led in four goals on 17 shots versus Columbus. This was like Schneider got called up because the injuries, this was his first time starting a game in a while. I was kind of hoping like, okay, Corey, let's do this. Let's end your career in the NHL on a high note, but ugh, not good. I have a feeling he'll get sent down again or I I wouldn't be surprised. He, He was terrible. Blackwood came in. Stop 13 of 14 as a starting goalie should. And so, yeah, I think that it's very clear, just like we said last week, Mackenzie Blackwood, he's going to be a volume starter for the rest of the season, you know, with New Jersey. Like, you want to start him at your own risk, but I don't think you could do much better if you're going for saves. If you want a goalie who's going to play game in, game out, and also New Jersey's going to let in a lot of shots. I don't know, maybe a Linus Allmark. Obviously, Connor Hellebuck plays a lot as well, but he's not available. So now's a good time to grab Mackenzie Blackwood if he was dropped in your league while he was hurt. I do not think that Corey Schneider is going to be at all a challenger for those starts. 
It sure doesn't seem like it. And you're right. There are fewer goalies in the NHL more likely to get more starts the rest of the season than Blackwood. I'll throw John Gibson's name. I'll add that to your list. Uh, you know, I think Blackwood's absence helped entrench him as a key piece for that franchise, not just this year, but moving forward. It seemed when Blackwood wasn't there, it was like, oh, good. We need we need Blackwood back. Yeah, well, now they have him and hopefully he's okay. Now he could rest up a little bit during the All-Star break from this uh, head injury. Oh, I mean, I'm hoping he was fine or else they shouldn't have let him back to play, of course. I guess Carey Price, by the way, is another goalie who plays a lot. Okay, one last outjury. This isn't really an outjury, though. This is just a player who is playing his first game of the season today. He already played. That's Justin Williams finally got in the lineup for the game versus the New York Islanders today. The Hurricanes won the game. Guess who got the game-winning shootout goal? That's right, Justin Williams. What a guy. What a hero. So he didn't really help you in fantasy unless your league counts game-winning shootout goals. But still, three shots, uh, one block. So not a bad start for Justin Williams. Only 13 minutes of ice time. You'd imagine that will rise. I'm taking a quick look at the lines now. I'm seeing Williams was playing on a line with Lucas Walmark and Brock McGinn, which left uh, Aho with Fogel and Tara Vinen. Ooh, that's a very good spot for Warren Fogel, if he can hold it. A Nino Niederreiter with Jordan Stahl and Andrei Svechnikov. And so, yeah, maybe things will still change, you know, once they've had some time to settle in. Maybe Justin Williams isn't going to just stick in the, you know, bottom six for the rest of the season. Or maybe he will. It'll be interesting, but great to see him back on the team. By the way, Brian, what's up with Andre Svechnikov? I see he scored today, which is great. Before that, he was pointless in four games. His point pace has fallen a little bit. Like, he was close to point per game. Now he's, like, falling, you know, below 75 point pace. Hopefully it won't fall that much lower. Like, should Svechnikov owners be worried that maybe he's starting to hit a bit of a wall? Or is this just a typical cold spell and the slate will be wiped clean after the All-Star break and he'll get strong again? I think that's one theory. I think the other theory about Sveshnikov is that there actually is a little to be worried about. In fact, I think there's been a little bit to be worried about since around the end of November or beginning of December when Svechnikov was moved away from Sebastian Ajo and started playing with Jordan Stahl and Warren Fogel. Since that time, Svechnikov still has 14 points in 19 games. That's okay, but it's a 60-point pace instead of that near 80-point pace he'd been on. And also, that 60-point pace doesn't even include this four-game pointless run that, thankfully, Svechnikov has just snapped but still, it's not so pretty lately for Svechnikov, as you said. And then you contrast those 14 points in 19 games. And again, that's ignoring four bad ones for Svechnikov post Aho. When he was with Aho, he hit 20 points in 15 games. And I think what we're seeing here is that Svechnikov can't yet do it all himself, or even with someone like Jordan Stahl, who's, of course, not really top six center material, but he's also somewhere in between, like a second and third line center in terms of how he can help provide offense. Also, during that big run with Ajo, Svechnikov was also scoring on twice as many shots as we could have expected Tim to based on his career shooting percentages. He's been on a more reasonable stretch since then. So I hope Svechnikov can find his way back up to like a 70 point pace. And we definitely thought at one point he could maintain it all year, even if he potentially spent time away from Sebastian Ajo. But now that we've seen what happens when he leaves Ajo and his shooting percentage regresses, I think I'm going to keep Svechnikov around 60 point pace the rest of the way for now. Maybe we could grant him 65-point pace to account for the fact that Svechnikov has been unsustainably bad on the power play. Just a single power play point going into tonight in his last 
18 games despite still seeing a steady majority share of his team's man advantage minutes. And before this dry spell, Svechnikov was pacing for nearly 30 power play points before he hit this just one in 18 game skid. So really, what we're seeing in Svechnikov, we're seeing regression hit, uh, and that's being compounded by him playing on a line that might not be the best place for him, which is why I think 60 points plus or minus five is what we can expect for Svechnikov to pace the rest of the way. Oh, no. Now you went to minus five there. Now we're down (laughs) to 55 potentially. Well, that's just if those power play points don't come back because I was being generous in trying to give him that 60-point pace by not counting that four-game scoreless streak. So that would probably put him closer to a 55-point pace than a 60-point pace. Uh, But on the bright side, Warren Fogle. Okay. How about him taking Niederreiter's spot with Aho and Teravainen? So I'd keep an eye on him. Carolina has a pretty good schedule after the All-Star break. So maybe he's someone you want to stream in. If you're a Svechnikov owner, I I think you just hold him. I don't think this is a moment where you try and sell high. I also know it's a moment you sell or you try and buy low either. I think it's just Svechnikov is Svechnikov. Okay, well, but sounds like we have no idea what he is, considering he was point per game. Now you're saying he's potentially down to a 60-point guy. So, I don't know. If you're listening to Brian and you you buy into these underlying numbers and this concern about the deployment, then maybe you do try to get out of him in a one-year league, of course. And to keep relief, yeah. he'll, he'll be fine, like long-term. But I, I don't like this deployment either. We have Shane in the chat saying he's looking right now to deal for Svechnikov in a keeper. If you're in a keeper format, this is the best possible time, maybe the last time that you can try try and acquire him in a keeper. We thought that window was closed forever, that no Svechnikov owner would give him up for anything less than a king's ransom. And now that might be uh, that might not be true for just another moment here, so long as he's struggling alongside Jordan Stahl. Okay, and then since we're on Carolina, let's transition our show from outjuries to injuries, and we have to stick in Carolina. This is a depressing one. Dougie Hamilton took an awkward fall on Thursday versus Columbus, broke his fibula, then he had surgery the next day. His timetable for recovery is completely unknown. We saw Jason Zucker have a similar injury recently, and he actually came back in just like a month. But, you know, I got, you got to imagine there's a good chance that Hamilton's just out for the season. Like, that's a very serious surgery. Uh, and that would mean he would end the season with 40 points in 47 games, which is an amazing year. 70-point pace. Would love to have seen if he could have gotten to those 70 points, but I guess now we'll have to wait for next year to see what Hamilton can do. So, obviously, when Hamilton got hurt, everyone was thinking... Go out and grab Jake Gardner as soon as you can because he's going to take over on the top power play. And if you did that, uh, you were disappointed because it looks like over the last couple of games, it's been Jacob Slavin taken over on the top power play. Jake Gardner still on the second unit. Uh, not like Jacob Slavin is doing anything with it. He has no point. He had no points today. Uh, no points in the last game. Both Gardner and Slavin have actually been super quiet recently. Slavin like pointless in five now. Gardner one assist in his last five games. Like, are you thinking you jump on either of these guys? Or is it just a matter of if you had Hamilton or if you didn't have Hamilton? Like, this is not the place to look for a defenseman that's going to help you offensively, maybe like the New York Islanders. Both Jake Gardner and Jacob Slavin are both worth a lottery ticket, right? They've each had power play opportunities in the not-too-distant past. Of course, the other side of that coin is that they've each not shown the greatest ability to sustainably produce with those opportunities. If I had to pick one to make a bet on, I have a bit more faith in Gardner than Slavin, but Slavin has the better floor if your league credits you for his couple shots and couple blocks per game. Gardner has been a really low-impact player across all categories, like 
unownable in so many formats this year. Some of that is due in part to him playing five minutes fewer per night this season compared to, well, the entire rest of his career. You know, he played nine seconds shy of 22 minutes in the game before tonight. I'm just pulling up his game log now. Uh, his time, yeah, he saw almost 22 minutes again. Those are the two highest time on ice totals of the season, two minutes higher than his high watermark to date. So I'm really curious to see if he does continue getting a chance to step up with those extra minutes to add some other peripherals tonight. No shots, one block, two hits, second power play. So now I'm reconsidering. Elon, that was my take before we had the information from this game. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe, uh, maybe Slavin is the better bet. Well, yeah, Slavin's the one currently on the top power play. Yeah. Slavin's also the one that he started the season pretty strong. He's cooled off a lot recently. I'm looking at only three assists in his last 14 games. Uh, so if you had Slavin, he's still owned in a lot of leagues. Maybe this is a reason not to drop him just yet. But I'm not too excited about either of them. Like, at the end of the day, yeah, being on the top power play is good. But if you're not also the type of defenseman that gets a lot of points at even strength, you could only do so much on the power play. Uh, unless, obviously, a role changes. Like you said, now Gardner's getting more minutes with Hamilton out but these just might not be offensive defensemen and you can't just expect because Hamilton's out someone's going to be like a Hamilton exactly case in point Adam Bokvist or Eric Gustafson we just talked about how Chicago hasn't found a defenseman to pick up power play points we've talked about it in New Jersey maybe the same will be true for Carolina yeah unfortunate okay next injury Morgan Riley is out eight weeks with a fractured foot after blocking a shot versus Florida while we were recording I believe last Sunday and so not too big of an impact I don't think if Tyson Barry was already on the top power play now he's solidified there so if you were nervous about Barry potentially losing the spot obviously that's not going to happen now and he's doing great lately four assists in his last four games two of which were on the power play uh rasmus sandin was called up when riley got hurt and people got really excited about him he had a good first game though he's been quiet in the next couple of games and keep in mind jake muzzin is reportedly going to return after the all-star break so i wouldn't be reaching or trying to get rasmus sandin at this point maybe i'd be looking at jake muzzin who will have an important role when he's back though he already had an important role now i guess he'll be on the second power play i think he was still there before just it was too defensemen uh probably the biggest fantasy impact of riley being injured aside of course to the morgan riley owners who just lose him and that sucks i wonder if this is gonna hurt frederick anderson who now has to play in front of a depleted decor anderson was terrible yesterday versus chicago he allowed six goals on 34 shots he now has three really bad starts in his last six games and that's not just something i'm saying that's an actual name of a stat uh i guess brian could define it it means he did really really bad and he blew it for you three of his last six games uh did we maybe place anderson too high in our goalie rankings i think we had him two and and now you know he's down to a 909 save percentage seems like the leafs could really use a backup goalie to give this guy some rest uh you know the rangers currently have three active goalies and it looks like shastyork is having another really awesome game today so i don't know right now i'm a little worried about frederick anderson because he's probably going to play a lot which is good for fantasy but also makes me worried that he's not going to be able to sustain a good save percentage especially now that morgan riley's hurt Okay, so yeah, let's unpack that with Frederick Anderson. First off, I don't know that it's going to, like, we can blame some of it on the defense, his struggles this year, but he's also underplaying his expected save percentage for the first time since coming to Toronto. And to be honest, Anderson's expected save percentage hasn't changed much, 
even with Toronto's well-documented defensive struggles. So I do wonder if there's something not quite being captured in his expected save percentage this year, because there, in Toronto, there's a defense core that, even when they're healthy, has looked very much like a work in progress. And then on top of Anderson's underwhelming five-on-five play, he's also struggling big time on the penalty kill, which is what's taking him down below league average save percentage on the whole. And when Anderson struggles, you mentioned it, it really highlights the need the Leafs have had now for a couple years at backup goalie. They have no one they can reliably turn to to give Anderson some time to get back on track, assuming that's what works for him. Maybe they're like, you know, we don't need a backup because even when Anderson's not playing well, the best way for him to get back on track is just keep playing. Uh, But so far, that is not working this year, even though it might have in the past. So, I still think the Leafs would be well served by a backup goalie. Elon, were you on the Jeremy Bracco for Alex Georgiev train that was uh, going, the rumor train that was all over the place this past week? I mean, I don't really follow the rumors too much. I do think that Georgiev is a nice fit with the Leafs. I don't know like what the Leafs have to pay to get him. I don't know what the Rangers would be looking for. Maybe even a pick would be enough. But the Rangers don't need three goalies and the Leafs need a backup. So I feel like something should be able to be worked out there. Yeah, the Rangers have three goalies. The Leafs have one. There must be a way they can work together. <laughs> we got to put them these people in a room and be like, how can I get both of you to leave here today with two decent goalies? Let's figure <laughs> this out. Uh, okay, by the way, uh, Brian, quick update on the Blue Jackets discussion from earlier. Oliver Bjorkstrand scored a goal. So already a great yes. return for him. Uh, makes me a little worried about Cam Atkinson. Bjorkstrand on the line with Dubois. Nyquist, really good deployment for him. And Atkinson, like I said, power play two. No goals today. Of course, they're playing against Ilya Shostyorkin. So it's hard to score goals against him. But it's also hard to score goals against this guy who's playing for Columbus today. Matisse Kivlenix. I, I probably mispronounced that. But uh, bo- Columbus has just been so good at protecting their goalies. Doesn't matter who's in net. They're going to give you a good game. Uh, so we were on the Leafs. I guess one other question about the Leafs that I'll ask you is Morgan Riley is injured, this might be a good time to get him in a keeper league. And I was actually saying on our patron cast that we recorded on Wednesday, which is a really fun show that we do every month for the patrons. We answer all of their questions. By the way, uh, you can support our podcast if you want by becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. For just $5 a month, you get in our patron Facebook group and a bunch of other perks, you know, including the patron cast. A Saturday stream, Ben did a streaming show where people asked questions about who they should play and start to decisions on saturday just like we got a lot of fun stuff going on for patrons you can get all the information keeping carlson.com slash patrons a little ad there this is an advertisement free episode aside from that anyway we were talking on that show which you can still download by the way if you sign up now uh, about morgan riley and i'm wondering if like on one hand like this has been a really brutal year for him right because he got bumped from the top power play and now he's injured so if you drafted him in a one-year league you're like oh what a waste But I wonder if now is the best time to get him in a keeper league because his value must be so low because he was bumped. But keep in mind, Tyson Barry is going to be an unrestricted free agent this summer. So he might leave and then Morgan Riley will default back to being the top power play defenseman. Kind of reminds me of what happened in Washington. I think it was like three years back now where John Carlson was supposed to be the new top power play defenseman. And then the Capitals, I guess, weren't satisfied with him. They brought in Kevin Shattenkirk to take over. Shattenkirk was good. Uh, Carlson got bumped. I'm sure this would have been a great opportunity to get John Carlson in a keeper league because the next year Shattenkirk moved on to the Rangers and Carlson took back over that job and he was great 
for the rest of his career so far. Now he might win the Norris Trophy this year. Actually, I think he most, almost definitely will win the Norris Trophy this year. So I wonder if that's also the future for Morgan Riley. Unless you want to look at it with like a more of a glass, glass half empty view and say that maybe Sheldon Keefe doesn't trust Riley as the power play one quarterback and they'll find someone else. Maybe one day it'll be Rasmus Sandin bumping Morgan Riley from the top power play. So I don't know. Two ways to look at it. All we have here is speculation. I wish I had more to offer on this too. On your Shattenkirk analogy, remember that, or your, I, I don't know if I should call it the John Carlson analogy. Remember that Carlson before Shattenkirk had never really been given the reins to to quarterback the top unit, right? Niskanen and Mike Green outpointed John Carlson on the power play in the two years prior to Shattenkirk's brief arrival in Washington. And then Carlson finally got the reins when Shattenkirk left Riley's different because he's already had a shot at the top power play and he did quite well with it. So I'm, I don't know what the precedent here is. And I mean, I know your analogy doesn't have to be perfect, but I, I still don't know. That's what we're seeing here. And we also, we don't know what Barry's situation is. I'm going to assume he's not coming back just the way the Leafs D is and where they might want to spend money to try and fix it with someone other than Barry. And that leaves Morgan Riley and Rasmus Sandin. And Keith seems to really love Rasmus Sandin. And I think he's viewed as a top power play capable defenseman. And Riley has already lost out to one guy in Tyson Barry, there's still enough intra-squad competition to wonder just how certain we can be about Riley's future keeper value, which makes it okay by low time for Morgan Riley in a keeper, but it's more of a gamble than it would be, of course, without Barry and Sandine in the picture. And it's one I'd be kind of careful to making. I feel like he could be a good, you know, second or third fantasy defenseman, but if you want to try and buy him as a first, uh, that would be tough to do right now. Right, maybe a little risky. Uh, it's, it's very interesting, and this will be a fun thing to talk about over the summer, assuming that Tyson Barry moves on from the Leafs, and then we have to try to project Morgan Riley. Uh, a couple of goalie injuries to report. We have Tuka Rask, who's out with a concussion, and Carter Hart is going to be out two to three weeks with an abdominal strain. Uh, as far as Rask goes, obviously it's just Yaroslav Halak is going to be the goalie. There's nothing really to discuss there, and hopefully Rask will be back soon. Uh, with the All-Star break coming up, there may not even be too many missed games for either of these two guys, but I do want to bring up Brian Elliott, who has taken over as the temporary starter in Philadelphia with Hart injured, and he's kind of pulling on Elvis Merz-Lickens here. He's stepped up in Hart's absence, even though he was doing terribly before, but now that Elliott is the default starter, in his two starts with Hart hurt, Elliott stopped 30 of 33 versus St. Louis, and then 34 of 35 yesterday in the 4-1 win over LA. So, Brian, even in the really short term, Philadelphia plays Pittsburgh on Tuesday at home. This is like this week in two days. Would you consider streaming Elliot in for that game? He's going to get the start. There's not that many games. This is an opportunity to get an extra goalie start. Of course, he could get blown up. It is the Pittsburgh Penguins after all. What do you think? Are you into Brian Elliot? Do you think he can hold off the pens on Tuesday? I was afraid to start Corey Crawford against Pittsburgh and he did okay. So why not try Brian Elliott, right? Except he has been more bad than good so far this year. Elliott has a 901 save percentage. He's underperforming his expected save percentage by a pretty sizable more margin. One out of four of his starts have been really bad starts. So Elliott makes a risky start, but hey, which goalie isn't these days? He's going to be playing, and that's reason to consider him as a short-term option to get you a start or two until Carter Hart returns, but it's a risky start or two. 
Yeah, nice to see that Elliot can still do well. Uh, I would hope for Philadelphia's sake that Carter Hart will come back soon because I don't think that Elliot's going to hold up that much longer before he has at least one really bad game. Uh, perhaps a better stream for Tuesday if you really want to grab a Philadelphia Flyer. Maybe James Van Riemsdyk is out there in free agency and someone you should consider adding. He has recently found himself on the Philly top line with Giroux and Konechny as well as on the top power play. Well, he's been on the power play for a while with Giroux, Konechny, Hayes, and Provorov. JVR capitalized big time yesterday on Saturday with one goal and two assists versus the Kings. He also had two assists in his previous three games before that. Brian, could this be the time where JVR is finally able to maintain some fantasy relevance or is another eight-game pointless streak, just like the one he was riding before this recent run, likely on the horizon? He's had good deployment before, right? Earlier this year, and Van like barely stuck there long enough for us to even talk about it. The difference this time might be, I guess, that Van like is actually producing in the early stages of getting this opportunity. I could see him not lasting long here, but I've already gone ahead and added him in a league in hopes that this is the start of a second half surge because James Van Riemsdyk's skill is still very much there. He's just had a bad time on the power play, just six power play points so far this year, and he needs more than that to supplement what's actually been completely respectable five-on-five production that's just been masked by this power play outage. Do you know that James Van Riemsdyk actually producing five-on-five points at his best per 60 rate second best per 60 rate in the last seven years and of course it's adding up to fewer points because he's seeing fewer minutes too but uh maybe these minutes come back he's got good deployment he's up on power play once that's a good start to cover that error that problem that he's been having so you know i don't think we're talking james and a giant reach here to think that van reinsight can get back on a 60 point pace if he holds on to top power play time yeah, well, not only top power play. I think he also needs to hold that top line deployment at even strength. And uh, we'll see. I don't know. Seems like a bit of a James and a giant reach. But uh, I- I'm happy that he had one good game. Let's see him have like two or three good games in a row. And then I'll get more excited. Why not grab him? Because a lot of teams don't even play at all over the next three days before the break. And Philly does have that one game at least. Uh, Brian, quick update on the Chicago-Winnipeg game happening today. Alex Debrinkit does have a point on his line with David Kampf and Kirby Doc. Kampf scored a goal assisted by Doc and Debrinkit. So who knows? Maybe Debrinkit doesn't need good deployment to get points. He could, he could do it with these guys. All right, so those are our injuries and outjuries for this week. I want to now go and end the show with the classic hot and cold streaks. Brian, we can play a little sustainable or fleeting here with some of these guys. Obviously, I don't need to ask you sustainable or fleeting about where I want to start in Washington with Alex Ovechkin, who has now scored hat tricks in two straight games after that crazy comeback win over the Islanders yesterday. He also had two goals in the game before that. So that's eight goals in his last three games for Alex Ovechkin. Just, I just love this guy. He's amazing. He's now up to 692 career goals. He just passed Lemieux. He's tied with Iserman. He's two behind Messier. Could potentially pass Gartner at 708 goals. Remember, uh, Ovechkin's at 692. Maybe even he could pass Phil Esposito, who's at 717 before the season is done, if he really has a strong finish. Though, actually, another guy that Ovechkin has to catch right now is David Pasternak, who's at 37 goals on the season compared to Ovi's 34. And also, Austin Matthews has 34. So if you had to pick right now, Brian, who do you think is going to win the Rocket Richard Trophy this year? Of course, it doesn't help Ovi's case that he's going to miss a game due to skipping the All-Star game. I feel like he should get an exemption, right? Like, he's Ovechkin. Just let the guy miss the game and not suspend him. We're, we're going over a goal. We're going for a goal record here. We can't be suspending him for a game here and there. 
I totally agree. This is ridiculous. Let Ovechkin play. You already robbed him of a season and a half in lockouts. Let him play. Uh, and also, I'm not even going to mention that Ovechkin's eight goals have come on 12 shots. Ah. Like, that's dumb. No, I'm, I said I'm not. <laughs> you did. Because Ovechkin could... If, <laughs> if anyone can score eight goals on 12 shots and make me believe in it, it's Alex freaking Ovechkin. I, I want him to win the Rocket Richard Trophy. I'm not sure he is. I guess it's between Pasternak at 36 goals, Matthews and Ovechkin tied at 34 I don't know how to predict a winner here. I think I'm going to predict Ovechkin, uh, except it's unfortunately he's going to be missing that game, which could be the difference. But of those three guys at the top, he does have the lowest shooting percentage so far. So maybe he has the most room or the least room to re- to regress and to be able to keep up what he's been doing. Yeah, I'm seeing that Pasternak score today, so maybe our numbers are even a little bit out of date. Yeah. Uh, but all Ovechkin needs is another couple hat-tricks in a row, and he'll be up in the lead, <laughs> right? So if anyone could do it, it's definitely Ovi. I'm cheering for him, which means I guess I'm cheering against David Pasternak. So I hope he doesn't score any goals for the next little while. Uh, other hot caps that I could mention that you have no chance in adding in your league, which is fun to talk about. John Carlson, nine points in his last seven games. Ben mistakenly said that Dougie Hamilton was the Norris frontrunner before his injury. On one of the oh, short way to rub so, it in. You know, I say mistakenly. Ben said that he, that's what he thought because maybe they're going to consider defensive play, but we know they don't consider defensive play. They, they, they want the exciting points. Uh, anyways, Carlson is likely now the for sure Norris front runner. I'm seeing in the chat, uh, Patty was suggesting maybe Roman Yosi will challenge, but I don't think so. So John Carlson doing as great as ever. Uh, Jacob Verana, who you brought up earlier on the show, Brian, nine points in his last eight game, pacing for 67 on the season and rising lately, could be a 70 point guy. And he's done it without playing on the top power play for most of the season. So I guess he's going to be this year's Timo Meyer, which I think you've made this analogy before. I think even on this show, Meyer last year got around 70 points without being on the top power play. Verona doing the same thing. Then imagine if one day Verona gets on that top power play. Sky is the limit. Great job by him. He's not playing with Ovi. He's doing this on his own. Well, I mean, with like uh, Kuznetsov, but still. Uh, yeah, that- <laughs> Kuznetsov is pretty good to be working with. Also, Verona has seven goals in his last eight games on 24 shots, which is great. Three shots a game, seven goals, a little too many, but still, he's here. He's doing his thing. Uh, don't, I hope you weren't too discouraged by this, I mean, reasonably short cold stretch he was on. It was just like 10 games and right in the middle of a season where he'd been completely and consistently productive up until that point. And now he's made up for it with this eight game point streak. Jacob Vrana. Wow. He's great. And now obviously the main event when we're talking about Washington right now, we've got to go and talk about what's going on in nets. This is one we got right on last week's show. We did rank Ilya Samsonov ahead of Braden Holpe. And this week has really, I think, cemented it, right? Like Samsonov had two games this week, the first time this season that he's played two in a row. And he was great in both of those games. Then Holpe got the start on Saturday, which I guess makes sense. You don't want to sit him too long. And he blew it four goals against on 22 shots before he got pulled before the third period. And then just to to rub it in, Ilya Samsonov came in relief, stopped all seven shots he faced, and picked up his third straight win in the exciting comeback. Samsonov's record now is insane. He's 15-2-1 to go along with his 927 save percentage. This guy doesn't lose games. Holtby, meanwhile, only 18 wins, only three more wins than Samsonov, even though he's played like double the games. He's 18-9-4. Now he's fallen to an 897 save percentage. Brian, you mentioned today that Holby was just dropped in your cupful tier two Ottawa division. 
Are you going to be putting some fab in to try to add him? Fab is obviously uh, the way we play is we have this budget. And when a free agent is dropped, everyone can bid from their budget to try to get him. And honestly, if it was me, I don't think I'd be that interested. It really seems, especially with Holtby, an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, why don't the Capitals just roll with Ilya Samsonov, who doesn't lose games? I think he's the starter rest of the season. And I'd be good to drop Holtby and not add him if he's dropped. I am also not adding Holtby. I'm showing my hand to my cupful uh, competition. No interest in Brayden Holtby. I have Robin Lehner. I have Linus Allmark. I'm very happy with the two of them. The only reason why anyone might be interested with Holtby is just that the Capitals have really, really been trying to make Holtby happen. Loss after loss after loss. And then for Samsonov, win after win after win. The Caps keep tried and hold me out there anyway and don't seem to be deterred by seeing one goalie play really well and the other play really poorly uh they're like oh Holt B's our number one i expect the tide to finally turn towards samsonov how can they ignore him any longer with this shutout at carolina so uh i'm thinking this situation is wrapped up. But again, Washington still wants Holtby to happen. Maybe they want to trade his rights for some sort of pick. Although, honestly, I don't think the last 30 games or so of this season is going to have a whole lot of impact on what his trade value is. So we'll see what happens. But at this point, it sure looks like it should be Ilya Samsonov's net as it has been for the last month or as it looks like it should have been the last month. Now it looks like Washington has no choice but to buy in. Yeah, and we did start to see it this week, right? Samsonov did get those two games in a row. I'm assuming he's going to get the next game, and we'll go from there. This could turn out to be a Murray-Jari situation, where in a month we're talking about, oh, now maybe is Holtby starting to make a run if Samsonov has a bad game? Right now it just feels like it's impossible for Samsonov to have a bad game. Though, that's what we thought about Semyon Varlamov, and look how that has shifted this week. Like, actually, let's go to him now. Uh, Varlamov has played three times this week. We were excited about this five-game week for the Islanders. We knew that it was going to be Probably three starts for Varlamov, two starts for Grice. Varlamov blew it. He stunk in all three of the games and losses to the Rangers twice and in that big collapse to the Washington Capitals yesterday. Grice, meanwhile, played well in his win over Detroit on Tuesday and looks like he only let in one goal today. The Islanders lost 2-1 to one in a shootout uh, with uh, Justin Williams scoring that winning goal. So all of a sudden, I wonder if things are changing over on the Islanders. Uh, we Even though uh, we ranked Carey Price higher than Semyon Varlamov in our ranking last week, we still had Varlamov pretty high. And now all of a sudden, who I'm not even going to ask you, Brian. If you want to comment... No, you don't can- ask me. We totally acknowledge this possibility on this show and we were like it looks like they've chosen Varlamov Grice is done and we said at how quickly they turned against Thomas Grice that maybe they're going to turn that quickly against Varlamov and of course here we are and yeah, we also did say that this five-game week might be a turning point since both of these goalies were going to get some starts, and Grice has been the winner of the week, so we'll see what happens going forward. I think the bottom line is we have no idea, and it could definitely go either way. on the Like, with Washington, I'm pretty confident that Samsonov is the guy. On the Islanders, I think now Varlamov's lost some of that lead that he had, and now I think we're close to, like even and it'll be whoever plays better after the all-star break uh speaking of this five game week that they had let's take a look at some of the winners here looks like brock nelson if you got him if if it was a shallow league and he was available he's not available in in all of my leagues but nelson had a great week jordan everly brian who you called he ended up having a really good week three goals and two assists in four games before today 
Uh, Barzal, you know, we were talking about how Beauvillier and Bailey were playing with Barzal at even strengthen on the power play, so maybe they were the ones to look at. But also, like we predicted, those lines did change, and it looks like today Barzal was playing with Lee and Eberly. So at this point, maybe Eberly is a hold at this point. Like if you streamed him in for the five game week and you found success with him, now he leaves this five game week still on the top line with Matt Barzal, and he's doing well. Of course, the Islanders now don't play for a while, but it would be kind of hard to drop Everly right now. Or, Brian, do you have to just be cutthroat and be like, thank you for your service, thank you for your five points in five games, now get out of here. It depends on your situation, of course, right? Who else is available? What schedule needs do you have? Where are you in the standings? But Jordan Everly has at least done enough to earn a thought to stay on your roster. Of course, his most recent game at the end of a five-game week where the Isles just scored one single goal, uh, Eberly had nothing to show for Sunday night's game, not even a shot on goal. Every other game, he put up something worth uh, worth a big fantasy contribution, two multi-point nights, a goal on another night, and the other pointless night, he had six shots on goal, thanks to seven and a half minutes of power play time, which is just wild. That was the game against the Rangers, where the Islanders had, well, clearly plenty of power play opportunity. So Jordan Eberle exposed to Matt Barzell on the top power play, absolutely worth keeping an eye on. If you're going to drop him, at least keep him on your watch list. Yeah, maybe you grab him back before the Islanders' next game. That's a good point. Uh, The other final goalie update I'll give here. uh, After Cam Talbot played three games in a row and was great leading into our episode where we ranked goalies and where we ranked him above David Riddick, uh, then I guess the coach, Jeff Ward, decided he wanted to try to make us look dumb. So he ended up sitting Cam Talbot and he gave Dave Riddick three starts in a row. uh, And Riddick was was really great in those first two games versus Montreal and Toronto, but then he put up a stinker on Saturday, letting in four goals on 20 shots in the loss to Ottawa. So I don't know. I think I still want to stand by Riddick being a scary own for the rest of the season. Maybe we ranked him a little bit too low, as our friends at the Fantasy Hockey subreddit let us know. But uh, I still think Talbot is doing really well, just because he hasn't played last week doesn't take away from the fact that he was really great the week before, and Riddick just had a bad game. So We'll see what happens. Obviously, Riddick is probably the front runner. He's the guy I'd probably still want at this point ahead of Talbot, which is not what I would have said last week, as I didn't. But uh, that's the update in Calgary. Who knows? I don't know. The way Washington wants to make Holtby happen, the Flames have wanted to make Riddick happen for going on at least a year and a half, maybe two full years now. It is a shame that Kim Talbot hasn't had a chance to build on what were some really solid starts. Uh, Until he blows it, he still looks like the better goalie, though. Uh, And like I mentioned on last week's episode, under the hood, he has been better than Dave Riddick this year, except uh, the Flames love his big saves, and so I think they're going to keep trotting him out as their number one or at least one A, and uh, there's no point in ever predicting anything about goalies. Yeah, okay. Well, I- I'm I'm going with that Samsonov prediction. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. Uh, so obviously that'll turn out wrong. Yep. <laughs> Okay, next, let's take a look at the schedule coming up like we've done a little bit. Florida is a rare team that plays two times next week, and both of their games are Monday and Tuesday. So now might be a good opportunity for you to stream in a Florida player, get those two games, and then drop that player because then they won't play again until the following Saturday. But you could add someone who plays early after the All-Star break. So obviously, if you have someone like Huberdeau or Barkov, you're loving life because you're going to get these two early games next week. In fact, Jonathan Huberdeau, 
he needs a shout out here, right? He has 27 points in his last 15 games, up to 64 points in 47 games wow. on the season for an 112 point pace. At this point, Huberdo is seventh in league scoring. Brian, how about just for fun? Want to try to guess the six players who have more points than Jonathan Huberdo so far? Oh, like not at all. No, but let me try. <laughs> for uh, fun. P- Pasternak? Yes. Uh, more than he McKinnon? Yes, McKinnon. So you've got two. Okay, McDavid and Drysidle. Yes, correct. Eichel? No, Eichel's actually behind by one point right now, or two points. Eichel has 62. Uh, Huberto has 64. Uh, do you want to try one more guess or should I let people know? Let people know. Okay, we've got Brad Marchand has 65, and Artemi Panarin has 68. But still, that's some pretty great company for Jonathan Huberdeau to be in. Note that I haven't said Alex Barkov in that list. Barkov is on a measly, quote-unquote, 89-point pace on the season compared to Huberdeau's 112-point pace. Do you think Huberdeau is now the best Panther to own in fantasy? Has he surpassed Alex Barkov? Like, if you were an Alex Barkov owner and you got offered Huberdeau in a trade... Do you think you would take it? How, I mean, I'd be crazy to say no, even though I see reasons why we wouldn't expect Huberto's production to keep up. Obviously, I'm going to be a bit of a wet blanket and point out the fact that he is shooting uh, 4% more successfully than he did last season. Uh, his on-ice shooting percentage is insane. Almost 13% of the shots are going in while Huberto is on the ice at 5-on-5. Five five. Of course, he's been super successful on the power play, too. He just has a little more positive variance than Barkov, and honestly, I think that's the difference between them. If somebody offered me Huberto for Barkov, I don't think they would if I'm a Huberto owner, I might be making an offer to Barkov, but for Barkov Plus and seeing just how much I can pull in because I I don't know. Is it too hot to take, Elon, to say I think their point totals are going to be a lot closer the rest of the season? I mean, no, I, I think that they're pretty tied. Like, I would have thought that their point totals would be close, and I would have thought Barkov would have been ahead. So, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen the rest of the way. But very exciting for Huberto, who now maybe we have to consider as a potential first-round guy to draft next year. Like, right now he's sandwiched by Marshand and Eichel in the scoring race, and both of those guys have gotten drafted in the first round in a lot of leagues this year. Maybe Huberto will be among them uh, next year so obviously we'll see how things shake out anyways we're looking at panthers that you could actually add here's another one that you probably can't mike hoffman who's up to 10 points in his last eight games and only two of those points are from the top power play that means he has eight points in his last eight games playing with the likes of dennis malgan and frank vetrano somehow like how like hoffman's getting terrible even strength deployment but he's still producing do you have any explanation for this and if you can't get hoffman maybe you have to start looking at frank vetrano who's clearly benefiting from playing with mike hoffman or maybe it's the opposite but vetrano has seven points in his last six games he's he'd be someone i'd be tempted to add for these two games monday tuesday First off, on the Hoffman front, it's nice to see him producing, but it's still concerning that the shot counts have still not gone up the way we would hope they would for Mike Hoffman. This is a guy out of the gate, looked really good, had 21 shots after his first four games, and then it took him like another 15 to total 21 shots again combined Uh, and then over his last six games that he's been on uh, a chunk of that he's been on this streak uh, he has just 12 shots in his last six games so he's scoring on 42 percent of his shots because he has five goals on those 12 shots which isn't great when I like Mike Hoffman 
I like Mike Hoffman because he's taking a bunch of shots and he's scoring a bunch of goals in a sustainable way. A couple of these have come on the power play, which is okay, justifiable. Those are higher percentage shots to be taking. But still, I don't like all these times I'm seeing him with one or even two shots on goal. Feels like not enough for Mike Hoffman. As for Frank Vetrano, definitely worth a stream because of Florida's schedule. And I'll also throw out Kevin Fiala, worth a stream. Matt Zuccarello, maybe even Luke Cunnan could be worth a stream in Minnesota. Marcus Foligno. These are all guys who are playing twice before the All-Star break that might be available in your leagues as free agents. So uh, check those guys out if you're interested in finding a streamer early on. Vetrano's one. And also I'll throw out Brett Connolly's name on the Florida Panthers. He's a little more like hit or miss. Uh, he might do something or he might do nothing. Vetrano at least, you know, puts a few shots on goal more often than not, or at least more consistently than Connolly. Yeah, so I actually didn't have the option to add Vetrano. I added Brett Connolly. So we'll see what happens. I guess Noel Achari is another guy who could try playing with Trocek. So we'll see what happens over these two games. Hopefully someone will get lucky with a stream from, like you said, one of these Minnesota guys or a Florida guy. Uh, keeping on with the hot streaks over in Arizona, it looks like Taylor Hall is settling in quite nicely. He's currently riding a four game point streak, has 11 points in his last nine games. That brings him to 40 points in 46 games on the season. Do you think that maybe Taylor Hall can? still get up to a point per game before this is all said and done yeah he's taylor freaking hall i think he's got a chance although of course the odds are against him i like the run he's on it's nice but i just can't shake the fact that taylor hall is in arizona and that's just not where a whole lot of goals have ever been scored Uh, it's lovely that he has four goals in his last four games he's taken three over three shots per game which is nice I'm just not sure that playing with uh, Christian Dvorak and Connor Garland is a path to being a point-per-game player. Well, I mean, that's what I would have thought also, but he's doing it over these past nine games. And I wonder if when you say, well, Arizona, they're not a place where you score goals. They're not a place that have had Taylor Hall on their team. I don't think New Jersey was a place where you expected a lot of goals to be scored before Taylor Hall got there. And we saw that amazing season that he had, though, of course... You know, we can't give much actionable fantasy advice about Taylor Hall. We can talk about these line mates that you brought up, Christian Dvorak and Connor Garland, obviously both hot as well, playing with Taylor Hall. Dvorak, four points in his last four games on the top power play. What's not to like there? And by the way, Connor Garland also on the top power play. Looks like in the last couple of games, he's bumped Clayton Keller, and Garland has six points in his last four. Now on the top line and top power play with Taylor Hall. Only 11% owned in Yahoo. So you could grab Connor Garland right now in a lot of leagues. And I think you should. That's a really good spot for him. I like him and Dvorak. I think both of them should be owned. Top power play playing with Taylor Hall. Points in three of his last four. These are all reasons to get Connor Garland on your roster. Uh, Clayton Keller, by the way. What a roller coaster of a season. Uh, He started off really strong and then slowed down. Then was on this really fantastic run in December uh, that ended just as we hit the new calendar year. And then he went silent. I actually drafted him in my cigar league. He got his first point for me yesterday and we drafted like January. Well, I can tell you he, he hadn't scored since January 4th. So he has just one point in his last seven games. I can't imagine he's off the top power play for good, but while he is and Connor Garland's in his place, then yeah, go ahead and add Connor Garland. But I still wouldn't drop Clayton Keller. Am I crazy? 
Yeah, so for those who don't know, by the way, the Cigar League was a thing we did with our patrons, Can I Get a Redo Leagues, where we drafted, it was so fun, we drafted leagues in January, thinking now we know a bit more about what's happening in the season. Brian thought he knew what he was doing, getting Clayton Keller, just for him to go cold and get bumped off the top power play. And yeah, I would probably drop Clayton Keller in a lot of leagues at this point. I'd rather have Garland or Dvorak over Keller right now. I wouldn't be waiting for Clayton Keller. Uh, I recall in previous seasons, I think last season, Keller got really cold near the end and he didn't really ever bounce back, so. So, yeah, it's tough for him. I don't know, maybe next year. Or I'd love to see Keller playing with Taylor Hall. As long as he's not with Hall, and especially if he's not on the top power play, probably not worth rostering, except for in super deep leagues. Uh, let's end the show with a couple more cold streaks beyond Clayton Keller. Brian, I'd like to file a missing persons report. Last name Dowdy, first name Drew. What the heck has happened to this guy? He started the season strong, 26 points in his first 42 games for a 51-point pace on the Kings. Basically everything we expected when drafting Drew Doughty. We didn't think we were getting a 70-point guy, but we thought a solid 50-point guy. That's going to give you peripherals. But now, over the last couple of weeks, Doughty has gone dead quiet. Just one assist in his last eight games. Are you expecting things to go back to normal after the All-Star break? Or is it time for Doughty's owners to get concerned? And if he's been dropped... Like, you know, do you let him go? Or are you blowing fab or your waiver priority in order to get Drew Doughty expecting a big finish to the season? You know what I like to do in these situations? I look at the whole team and how they're doing. And LA has scored just 15 goals over the last seven games. So that's barely more than two per game, which, of course, Drew Doughty should have been on on more of. Uh, He wasn't. I forgive him, though. I think it's pretty amazing that even on such an anemic Kings team, he's still on pace for 44 points. Last year, he was on pace for 45 points. So how much more could you be asking for? He's doing well on the power play, a little not as little less well than the last couple years. But still, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to panic about Drew Doughty. Everything's fine for all that you should have been able to expect, which was a 45 to 50 point season. Okay, so you're you're saying he was too good at first, now he's doing too badly now, and you're going to average it out on what he did last year. Hopefully you're right. I guess if I had Drew Doughty, I would still hold on for a little bit longer, but I'd definitely be concerned this Kings team is uh, not scoring goals, and you could hope that when they do score, he'll get back in on them, or they just might stop scoring, kind of like Anaheim did for a stretch last year. Uh, and then uh, the final cold streak I want to bring up, things have not looked great for Nazem Kadri on Colorado lately. Unless you're in a Pims league, then he's destroying it for you. He's taking too many penalties, I feel like, uh, but he only has one assist in his last seven games, appears to have been bumped from the top power play for JT Comfer, so that's definitely not good. He's been centering a line with Andre Burakovsky and Valerie Nichushkin lately. Somehow, while Kadri and Nichushkin are cold, Burakovsky has six points in his last five games. I don't really even know how that's possible, but that's what's been happening. So I guess we could actually make this a two-part bi-directional, sustainable, or fleeting question for both Kadri and Burakovsky. Are either of these guys worth owning in fantasy right now? And if you've held Kadri all year, is it time to let go? I have held Kadri all year, and I'm asking myself that very question. Burakovsky's a little easier to think about just because, you know, he's on, he's off. You take him when he's on, you drop him when he's off. It's not a big deal. But for those of us who have held Nazem Kadri all season long and benefited from a lot of top power play time that he's seen, some good games where he's had, you know, consistent shot totals, goals here and there, it's been frustrating to watch him go so cold lately. I think one of the reasons for that, Elon, he has, uh, there were two games where he had 10 minutes in penalties and another where he had 17 minutes in penalties. 
I don't know if I'm making excuses here, but he played fewer than 15 minutes each of those nights. And I just wonder, actually, one of them he did get a point on. Like, that's the only that's the night he only got a point. So maybe my narrative isn't working. And I'm just trying to justify holding on to him. I like that he's still shooting the puck. Uh, he has, like, still over three shots per game during this cold snap. So he hasn't stopped doing what he does best. Uh, I'm not dropping him just yet, but he is creeping into the conversation as to whether or not he's one of my bottom roster players. Yeah. And especially if he stays off the top power play, then I think you'd have to be really concerned. So let's see what happens after the all-star break on that yeah. front. Uh, hey, Brian, update on the Blackhawks game. <laughs> uh, 5-2, the Blackhawks won. Uh, Brandon Saad scored a goal, assisted by Patrick Kane. So that pairing is doing well. Uh, Dominic Kubalik scored a goal, right? at the end assisted by Taves and Murphy so again in your question that you asked me about do you hold Kubalik through only having one game the next matchup definitely yes and he's shown why and how about another Oliver Bjorkstrand update two goals on six shots in his return his team's only two goals in a two-to-one victory Matis Kivlinex picks up the W another Latvian gets his first win for the Columbus Blue Jackets and poor Igor Shesterkin uh, still had a good game. Two goals against on 31 shots, but the Rangers couldn't beat Matisse Kivlinet. So what you going to do? It'll be fun to see what happens in the Rangers net over the next few weeks. But Brian, that takes us to the end of our show. Really fun. We did a normal show. We didn't rank every player in a position. Maybe after the All-Star break, we could do like all the defensemen or something. That might be fun. But for now, I really enjoy just going through all the injuries and outjuries and hot streaks and cold streaks. Hopefully everyone will have a very restful All-Star break. We have three more days of light hockey schedules. And then I guess we all get a chance to regroup and figure out what we want to do to get ourselves into the fantasy hockey playoffs. Brian, we will still be back with an episode next Sunday. We'll have to figure out how to fill the time since we'll only have these three games of action to talk about, but that's for us to worry about. All you need to worry about, dear listener, is to take our thanks for sticking with us all season long. We hope you like the show. Obviously, we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson, good or bad. Let us know what you think. If it's good, then we would also appreciate a positive five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find the show. Again, like we said before, if you want to support us for the rest of the season, just five bucks a month and you could cancel any time uh, by becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson. You buy Brian or I a beer once a month. It's nothing. KeepingCarlson.com slash patron. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead, Brian, and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Mike and Jesse, welcome aboard again. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash Keeping Carlson. Uh, support the show. It's supported by you, especially this week. Uh, logo and art by Brandon Weeb at brandonweeb.com. Uh, outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job, as always. Brian, looking forward to doing this all again with you next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl signed.